Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. time I have left so I want to get this story out there before they find me you can only hide from a corporation with resources that Disney has for so long they're closing in on me as we speak let's start at the beginning a year ago when my wife and I were planning on taking our two daughters to Disney World frankly Disney isn't exactly my thing I'd much rather be riding roller coasters that fling you around at 90 miles per hour than little boats that take you on a scenic ride through a cartoon I've been forced to watch about 10,000 times. To be honest, the most interesting thing about Disney World to me were the underground tunnels that, as a lot of people know, the park staff and characters use to move around without being seen by guests. They actually have hidden entrances all over the park. So when I saw the option to tour those tunnels, $75 seemed like a pretty small price to pay to get me out of those few hours of meeting princesses. I booked a tour. My wife and daughters weren't interested, and the girls were too young anyway, so I was the only one taking this tour. I was expecting a few pleasant hours of child-free bliss in the air-conditioned tunnels, and maybe some interesting information that might make the park a little more entertaining for me. If I had only known what awaited me in those tunnels, I never would have signed up for that tour. I never would have taken my family to that godforsaken park at all. Our trip up to the day of the tour was actually pretty enjoyable overall. Thanks to the girls having so much fun with that excited glow in their eyes that only children can get, I ended up having a good time. I of course rolled my eyes a few times at some of the more over-the-top stuff. But I did have fun. I even began to let myself get sucked into it. They're insidiously good at doing that to you. The one thing that absolutely none of us enjoyed was a small world ride. I've been on it before, years ago and remembered hating it. In fact, no one I know who has ever ridden it liked it. Even Disney themselves make fun of the ride in a few of their movies. The girls really wanted to get on it and the line was fairly short, so we ended up conceding. Even my daughters were begging to get off by the end though. Maybe it was the incessant one verse song that plays throughout their entire ride. Maybe it was the fact that the ride itself was nearly endless. Or maybe it was the hordes of creepy animatronic children that populate the whole thing. But we all hated it. I had no idea why this ride has been in operation for so many years, as horrible as it was. I know the heinous secrets behind it now, of course, but we'll get to that shortly. Anyway, the fateful day of the tour arrived, and we got to the park early that day. 
My wife and kids went off on their way, excited for another day of fun. And I went off to the tour that would bring my world to an end. The tour was interesting at first. We heard some history of the park, of Disney himself, got to see a few of the characters getting ready, and all types of other stuff. But by the second hour, I was really bored. The tunnels weren't as fascinating as I had made them out to be in my mind. I really just felt like I was backstage at a big show, and the walking was insane. My feet were sore already and it wasn't even close to lunchtime. It was at this point that I noticed a door that caught my eye. It wasn't really anything fascinating at first glance. It was simply marked storage. However, it was slightly ajar, and despite it being dark inside, I could tell that it wasn't a storage closet. It actually looked like what I had been hoping the tunnels would be. It reminded me of an old military bunker with thick-looking concrete walls and I could see a set of steep, narrow metal stairs going down quite a distance. Now this was interesting. I don't really know what made me defy all common sense, or what it was that I found so intriguing about this door and those stairs, but I knew I just had to go down there. So I did the exact thing that all idiots in cliche horror movies do. I dropped back from the group, and when no one was looking... I ducked inside. The stairs were fairly rickety old metal, but they didn't seem to be in any danger of giving way, so I creeped carefully down into the darkness. I could see a room at the bottom, and there was a faint light coming from it. When I finally reached the room, I realized I must be in some kind of maintenance area for the small world ride. It was a cavernous room with the ceiling high above. I could see a lot of broken looking scenery that looked like it fit with that ride and a few scattered parts here and there. At this point I realized I might actually be under the ride because there was water seeping through the ceiling and dripping down. I was a little nervous, but it was just a feeling that I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. I figured the worst thing that would happen would be that I'd get kicked out of the park and would have to spend the rest of the day relaxing at the hotel instead of walking and standing in lines. I couldn't have been more wrong. As I continued on, I found another side room. The door to this room was the first sign that anything more sinister was going on. The door itself was fairly nondescript, not even a label. But what really caught my attention was a set of scratch marks on the edge of it. They looked like they were made by human fingernails, almost as if someone had grabbed the door in a struggle to keep from being pulled into that room. Upon entering the room, I realized it must be a storage or preparation room for the animatronic children on the ride. There were rows of clothing stacked neatly on the shelves. Moving beyond these though, there were piles of clothing that didn't fit with the theme of the ride. It looked almost like a lost and found. There were kids t-shirts, shorts, and other clothes just haphazardly tossed into piles without much sorting. 
There was even a pile of those rubber wristbands that everyone wears for the fast pass thing. It definitely didn't seem to be props for the ride. I wondered if maybe they could be in the process of updating the ride and were using old lost and found items or something. The next area I moved into actually had some of the child dolls in it. A lot of them were broken down, missing limbs, cracks, chipped paint. And then I moved into what looked like a painting area. There were stains on the floor, and several of the dolls were hanging upside down on some kind of drying rack. At this point, the nervousness I had been feeling suddenly turned to pure horror. One of the dolls began struggling and weakly whimpering. Help me! I realized in an instant that those stains on the floor weren't paint, and neither was the liquid dripping from the children on the rack. I reeled with an absolutely horrific sick feeling in the pit of my stomach, but somehow I managed to keep it together and went to the child to try to find a way to get him down. At this point, I was struggling to get the kid off the rack. I had heard a voice from behind me that made my blood run cold. I wouldn't do that about you. <laughs> the only way I can describe this voice is that it was a perfect Mickey Mouse imitation if Mickey had been 6'5", 300 pounds, and a chain smoker for the last 85 years. It was deep and gravelly and absolutely terrifying. The last <laughs> was the most disturbing perversion of a Mickey Mouse laugh I have ever heard in my life. That laugh alone was enough to turn my blood to ice water. I turned to see a man in a Mickey suit flanked by about 20 big guys in black polo shirts and khakis. These guys were clearly not normal Disney security because they all had the build of NFL players and the demeanor of special forces soldiers. Every one of them had a pistol holstered on their belt, which I know is not standard issue for park security. Mickey himself was the most terrifying thing though. It wasn't the normal suit you see around every corner in the park. This one looked like it was the original suit from the time the first park opened in California in 1955. I don't know if you ever seen a picture of the original Mickey mascots, but they're horrifying. Google it if you want to know what I'm talking about. The eyes are wide and staring and unnatural, and this one looked like it hadn't been washed in the last 60 years. It was dirty, stained, and ragged. Again, and the demonic Mickey imitation voice. You just can't enjoy the park and stay where you belong, could you? <coughs> just had to poke around where you shouldn't be. Had to find out what we do with the naughty kids, huh? Why you coming with us now? You're too big to fit on this ride, but I'm sure we can find some place to put you. <laughs> the man in polo shirt started moving to flank me, and I knew I was doomed. My only way out was through this demon mouse, so I did the only thing I could and charged him. I was a defensive lineman in high school, so I'm no stranger to the feeling of slamming into another person while running full speed. I fully expected the contact, but when I hit that mouse suit, it was like running into an old teddy bear that had been sitting on a shelf for decades. It just gave way and almost felt like it disintegrated into the cloud of dust that exploded all around me. 
I contacted something light and brittle at the center and heard a snapping sound like old dry twigs and then the mouse collapsed. I nearly fell on my face from my own momentum because I was expecting a lot more resistance. As I recovered my feet and kept running, I heard the same crackling sound and looked over my shoulder. Mickey was on the ground, limbs bent at awkward angles, but his body was popping itself back into place and he rose from the floor. It was a horribly disturbing sight and I turned away and continued running as hard as I could go. I had to get out of there. I had to get back to the park, to the crowds. I knew they would never do anything in front of park guests to break the magic. It's pretty much their number one rule. I could hear the security guys coming after me, but there's nothing quite like the combination of adrenaline and fear for your life to give you speed. There's not a person alive who could have outran me at that moment. I made it out of that room up the stairs and into the tunnels in about five seconds flat. I exploded through the nearest exit door and nearly gave some poor family a heart attack when I flew out from behind the bushes. Deciding my best bet was to blend in with the crowds as much as possible. I slowed down and tried to stick in the middle of the most congested areas while I bought some time to text my wife and get her and my kids out of there. I never received a reply. After a couple of hours looking for them, I was beginning to see black polo shirts everywhere, and I decided I needed to get out of the park. They were probably a lot safer without me anyway. I wasn't going to be around to meet up with them later if I didn't make my escape soon. God help me. I thought they'd be left alone if I wasn't with them. I exited the park with a large tour group, so I was less likely to be noticed. I knew better than to go back to our Disney hotel or take any of their transportation. So I went ahead and followed this group to their big charter bus and managed to sneak on board. Luckily, they all seemed pretty worn out and no one seemed to notice or care that I wasn't a part of the group. Eventually, I ended up in a bar in downtown Orlando, still trying to contact my family. Then I finally received a reply. It was a picture of my wife and daughter smiling huge forced smiles next to that horrible mouse costume. The terror in their eyes still haunts me. My soul died that night. Now I can only wait for the mouse to finish the job. I've been on the run ever since, staying in cheap motels, moving around, hanging out in crowded places as much as possible. I needed to get my story out before I'm found. The world has to know the truth, and I don't think I can keep it up much longer. I know they're closing in. In fact, I can see a Mickey silhouette through the window blinds right now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Sing the damn song. <laughs>
It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. You're not singing it good enough. It's a small world after all. Come on, let's go. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after magical world of Disney. So much goes on off stage and behind the scenes to ensure the guests have the most magical times of their lives once they arrive on the property. Ever seen a wet paint sign while walking through the parks? How about a maintenance cast member with a bag of tools? Anyone with a construction hard hat? <laughs> of course you haven't. That would ruin the experience that Walt Disney World is perfection. It's because that 99.99% of all work goes on after the show is over. All the little mice that keep the place running like clockwork don't even start working until the announcement is made over the radio we carry that the park is now clear. Then the crews get to work. Maintenance starts buzzing around on their golf carts. The custodial cast members bring out large hoses to wash down every inch of the streets we all walk on and the construction crews are allowed past the security perimeter gates to come and do whatever needs to be done. That's where my story begins. I've worked construction most of my life. When work dried up up north, I moved to Florida where some of my family had moved over 10 years ago. Naturally, I needed to find a job. I wound up applying for and getting hired by a construction company that shall remain nameless that literally did almost all the construction needs for the corporate mouse. I spent five or six overnights a week at various locations at Walt Disney World with co-workers doing whatever our foreman told us what needed to be done. Sweet gig, actually. Even though it was very hard work at times. Just think, how many people can truly say they get to ride around Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, and the dead of night in trucks, golf carts, and what have you while the park is just about empty except for a skeleton crew. For about the first six months, I kind of kept to myself except for talking with the crew of the company that I worked for. Then I began noticing how chummy many of the Disney overnight crew was with our staff. Custodians, when working in the same area as us, would come and talk to the boys as well as the overnight security cast members. I began to slowly get to know many of these folks as well. They, for the most part, were really nice. I got to know many of the night security staff at all four parks, as well as the resorts. If you didn't know, Walt Disney World opened in 1971, it was actually not too uncommon to come across someone who had been a lifer with Disney or knew someone who was. 40 plus years working for the mouse, God bless him. Even my foreman, who although did not work directly for Walt Disney World, was one of these. Boy, did he have some stories to tell to pass the time. As I adjusted more to the job, I began to get more comfortable with the surroundings. The cast members grew more social towards me, and I was able to make my way through the parks without getting lost too. Let me tell you, that's not no easy feat when you first start out working there. Especially at night. 
Although it's not pitch black, there's very minimal lighting except wherever you put our floodlights up to do work. Security is only using flashlights or the headlight of their carts to light their ways, and store lights are only on if someone is working in them. Quite eerie and yet cool at the same time. It's like a totally different place than during the operating hours. As a matter of fact, one time when I decided to visit the park as a guest, I couldn't find a ride that I wanted to go on because it looked so different during the day with all the colors, people, sounds, and music. One year of working at the place full time, and I had to swallow my stupid pride and go get a map. <laughs> Pathetic. Anyway, as I started conversing more and more with the cast members, some of the security staff and I found out that we had a mutual interest in the paranormal. I would get to hear stories from them all the time. The famous ghost in a Pirates of Caribbean ride, the murder-suicide in one of the rooms of a certain resort, the jumping off of terraces at another, ghosts of cast members who passed on that comeback and say hi, the spooky occurrences at rides where some unfortunate guest was killed. The stories went on and on. Although fun to hear, I won't lie, it did give the whole property an ominous feel at times what a guest will never get to experience. Even co-workers of mine had stories to tell. Attractions turning on even though the lockout tagout system is in place to ensure they don't. Following someone to a break room and walking in to find no one in there. Huh. Of course, the noises and voices when they were working alone. So, several months ago, when arriving at work, the foreman called our team over for a meeting. He announced we would be starting a new assignment at the Magic Kingdom shortly. We would be working on a Seven Doors Mine train ride. This attraction will be opening later in the year. How exciting! Up until now, my crew since I had started working with them had been doing mundane yet necessary assignments. We had the pleasure of pouring concrete, digging ditches, fixing bathrooms, you know, good stuff. Now, we were actually going to get to work on an attraction. Imagine me getting to tell my future wife and children that I helped make this as we were riding it. They would be in awe and so proud. The building was already up for the most part and we were going to be working on it to make it more show ready. You know, making a building look like a mine inside and out, fabricating rocks, fixating jewels, and the works. When the time came to start this, he had us meet in one of the cast member break rooms inside the attraction. For those that don't know, most if not all attractions have break rooms inside that the public can't see. A cast member working on a ride literally doesn't have to leave if he or she doesn't want to, even for a lunch break. He explained the job, who would be doing what each week, and all the normal details. Then he proceeded to tell us that as per Disney management, we were all to take our lunch breaks at 3am and to only take it in this particular break room we were in. I thought that was kind of weird. Since my employment with them began, we were never told when and where to take lunch. We used to always stagger our breaks as well so that most of the crew was always working. Whatever, I guess. The mouse paid our bills and who the hell was I to question it? I was still the rookie, but I will say this. I saw what I was thinking in the eyes of my co-workers as well. We were only a group of 10 guys on this assignment 
and we were broken up into groups of five. One group would work on the outside and one group on the inside of the attraction. I was in the inside group. It was a pain to work in that thing. Due to the size of the spaces where we had to work, maybe one or two floodlights would fit in the area where we were working. It gave an effect of staring into a fire in the woods. While working on a wall, it was bright as hell. When you came out of that space, you were as blind as a bat. The first few days, it became a running joke or contest of who tripped on something and broke their ass the most each week had to pay for the drinks when we went out together. I paid up twice the first month. Thanks, Disney. I guess you can call me paranoid, but I would never leave my lunch bag in the fridge in the break room. I'm an absolute angry asshole if I get hungry and after having it stolen once while at Animal Kingdom, I was not going to have it happen again. So I just carried it with my other gear from then on. We were working on the opposite side of the attraction from the break room and it was just about lunchtime. We cleaned up all the possible trip hazards and went on break. When we got to the break room, I realized I had left my bag where we were working. Damn it! There was no way I was going to spend $8 on a Coke and stupid bear claw from one of Disney's rip-off vending machines. I told the guys I was going to run back and get my bag. So, off I went. I was hurrying along because we only get half an hour lunch, and if we take even a minute longer to get back in our work location, there's hell to pay. And you all know how fast half an hour flies by unless you're working. Trying to make good time... I must have made a wrong turn in all that blackness. My stupid flashlight was in my tool bag. Of course. I was attempting to fill my way around the track when I saw some light coming up ahead of me. They looked like they could have been a set of emergency lights, but they were quite dim and flickering. Who cares? Any part in the stream, right? I slowly made my way towards them and began to hear voices, but I, I couldn't make out any words. There was no one in the attraction other than us, or so we were told. Oh my god, after all the stories I was told, was I finally going to have one of my own? As much as I felt the hairs on my neck stand up, I was excited as well. Even though I really liked hearing about ghosts, I can't say that I'm really truly afraid of them. I just don't want them in my home. Other than that, I find the idea of them fascinating. I slowly peeked my head around the next corner. I wish to God it was a ghost I saw. It was a large, open space and there was a fabricated stone slab made to look like a natural rock formation in the center. Six figures in suits were around it in a circle. Five were holding candles while one was reading off what looked like an old piece of parchment. What he was saying was beyond my knowledge, not English from what I could hear. Every time the main suit would finish a sentence or two, the others would repeat the last word. As I crouched there amazed, I saw what looked like a flash of yellow and blue stirring from on top of the altar. There was someone on it. A woman. She stirred again and I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. It looked like one of those college program kids that gets to be friends with the characters. Completely dressed as Snow White. She was gagged and bound. What the hell was I seeing? Her eyes were huge and filled with fright. Tears were streaming down her face, making her overly done makeup run. 
As much as she struggled, she could barely move. The man with the parchment stopped reading. The others all produced some cruelly made daggers and made their way to her. Two of them went to each of her arms, two to her legs, and one stood at the top of her head. The leader made a gesture with his hands and said one more uncomprehendable word, and the others moved in. The two by her arms sliced their arms from mid-bicep down to the wrist. Two others did the same from mid-thigh to the tops of her feet. The fifth one actually carved what looked like a half-moon into her forehead. I stifled a scream and closed my eyes. I could hear muffled screams and smell copper in my nostrils and tasted it in the back of my throat. I opened my eyes briefly to see the leader produce a knife, walk over to the altar, and lift poor Snow White's chin up towards him. That's when I turned and ran. I got back to the break room, sprinting through the door. I must have looked half crazed because one of my buddies said, What the hell happened to you? Where's your lunch bag? I didn't even answer him. I just stood there. He looked at me over one more time and decided to call a foreman over the radio to come talk to me. The foreman came in, took one look at me and asked if I was feeling okay. I shook my head. He told me to go home for the remainder of my shift. I called out sick the next three days. In the comfort of my home, I attempted to rationalize what had happened. It had to be a gag, right? Was it my boys with an elaborate welcome to the crew trick? I mean, God, Walt Disney World is cramped full of college program kids, late teens and early 20-year-olds away from home and college, getting paid crap just so they can put Disney on their resumes, just fornicating and causing havoc every chance they can get, playing tricks so they can put it on their blogs or Twitter or wherever else stupid things they use to get attention these days. It had to be. On my first night back to work, I literally had to force myself not to turn my car around at the security gate when the guard opened it for me to enter. When I got to the break room, one of the lifers I worked with was sitting there seemingly waiting for me. He told me to clock in, leave my stuff with him, and go meet the foreman over by the main entrance. I looked at him quizzically since it was pretty far from where the mine was, and it was heavily frowned upon for us non-cast members to be found wandering far from where we were assigned. I stated as such, and he just said, Go! You'll be with your boss, so it'll be his ass and not yours if someone says something. I made my way over to the main entrance, and found him under the train station, sitting on one of the benches. He told me to sit. We sat there for about five minutes without speaking. He lit up a cigarette and I did as well. He asked me about what happened the other night. I just shrugged, looked at the newly hosed down ground, and excelled. He put his hand on my shoulder and said that I was a great co-worker and other guys all liked me a lot. He didn't want to lose me and that he was surprised I came back after the way I had looked. I told him that it wasn't far from the truth. He asked me if I was sick or if something had happened. He also asked me if maybe a cast member manager had given me a hard time, and if so, he'd handle it. I shook my head and said that he wouldn't believe me and would probably fire me for being a nut if I told him. He then said something that made me feel it was okay to tell my story. 
He said, I've worked here since it was just flat land and dirt roads. Nothing you say can shock me. I looked up at him, dead in his eyes. When I saw that he was telling the truth, I began to explain everything from the beginning. I ended the story when the other guy told me to come see him. My foreman sat there, flicked his cigarette butt, and ground it into the floor. A huge Disney no-no. He had sat there nodding through the entire story, not interrupting once. Never once a smirk, a smile, a look of disbelief. A custodial truck happened to drive by, and when the headlights flashed on us, I had seen that all the blood had seemed to drain from my foreman's face. He breathed in and exhaled once from the mouth. He had the beginning of tears in his eyes. He finally spoke. What am I about to tell you, kiddo? Not many here have been here long enough to know, and those who do know almost never speak about. It's sort of a taboo subject, and the few that do talk about it are too old to care or have had one too many scotches. He smiled half-heartedly at this, and I thought maybe he might stop, but he continued. I've lived in this area for almost 80 years. I've barely been out of this state. Less times than I can count on one hand. Orlando has only looked this way for a short time. If you could have seen this land in the time I grew up, you'd be amazed. Marshland and orange groves, nothing else. Until Uncle Walt decided this spot for his next incredible theme park. There was practically nothing. Humans have been inhabiting this land for a very long time. All native Indians have lived in and around the land you are sitting on right now. Ancient land. Well, I'm no historian, but I guess those Indians at some point figured out this land was a little spoiled. Spoiled as in not just bad, but spoiled as in how a little child throws a tantrum if it doesn't get its way. At some point, when these cultures were not having good weather or crops, what have you, they figured out that a blood sacrifice could do the trick. Every time they built a large structure in this area, they drew blood. But for whatever reason, the sacrifice had to do with the structure being built. For example, if the Indians were building a religious structure, a shaman had to be sacrificed. If a settler was building a barn or orange grove, a farm man had to be the one. You get me? And it had to be done by the elders of the town. Couldn't be done by just anyone, but by the elders or most influential ones in the area. You ever seen that movie Pet Cemetery by Stephen King? Like that, but the important people involved. Do you know the story about Disney buying this land? He bought it not under the Disney brand, but hundreds of pseudo companies. He didn't want anyone to know he was going to build a theme park here because the locals may not have sold it as cheaply as they did. So... He did what he did. I wonder if, through all this half-truth bargaining, if him or his roundtable executives ever wondered why so many were willing to sell at that price. Were they done having to do the despicable to make a profit here? Did many of them want out? It can really make you wonder. And how come supposedly no one dies at Disney? How come all people are proclaimed dead off the property? And why do we hire so many college kids that are supposedly running rampant here? Think about it. I just gotta tell you because I think you may deserve it after you've seen what you claim to. 
The powers that be here are powerful. More powerful than just being Disney executives. They pretty much roll everything. You think Club 33 is exclusive? <laughs> the club you stumbled upon rules more than just a theme park. If you talk about what you've seen, your life may be in danger. I just sat there trying to soak in what I just heard. This was insane. And then my foreman said one more thing before the last sentence I ever said to that nice man. If you think that was bad, just imagine what I heard as we were building It's a Small World. I swear I still hear those screams of those kids once I close my eyes at night, 40 years after. After hearing what he had to say, I quit right then and there. I still get the shakes when I think about it. I hate every fucking Disney commercial that comes on TV, and they come on a lot. I get goosebumps every time. I see that Universal Studios is hiring. I need to work. Should I apply? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.